do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 11. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. Back in episode five, I promised this podcast when I said I would revisit Amanda Spielman's comments about the new inspection framework that be used in England by Ofsted. She talked about the deep dive that would be done when inspectors visited schools and how they would look at what was going on in the curriculum by having conversations with curriculum leaders, such as heads of department. She posed four questions that inspectors would use to frame these conversations, which are firstly, what does the school expect to be happening here? And I'm assuming that question is asked after a lesson has been observed. Where is this lesson taking place in the sequence of lessons? So for me, that question is about progression. Thirdly, how does the work the pupils are doing fit with where the school intends pupils to be in that sequence of lessons? So that's about where does that subject fit and what the children are doing in those lessons in terms of the context of the rest of the school curriculum. And finally, whether pupils are actually doing the work that a curriculum leader expects them to be doing at that stage. I've thought about these four questions for a while now, mulling over what I wanted to say about them and questioning whether I even had anything I wanted to say, in addition to the many conversations that have been happening on social media and on different courses about Ofsted's deep dive into curriculum. And I came to the conclusion that really I didn't. Instead, what I wanted to talk about was about design and technology capability. Because I think if we understand what we mean by design and technology capability and we use that to plan our curriculum, then answering those four questions is quite straightforward. So in this episode, I want to talk about what we mean by design and technology capability. I think it's a term that we don't talk about much in D&T for some reason. And I want to unpick it and then give you some different questions to think about when you're designing your curriculum. So firstly, we need to define what we mean by design and technology capability. And to do this, I'm going to use Gwyneth Owen Jackson's definition from the third edition of the Learning to Teach Design and Technology in Secondary Schools book. She says, it is generally recognised that learning in design and technology is designed to develop pupils' capability. Design and technology capability has been described in different ways, but there is general agreement that it is concerned with the active, purposeful application of knowledge and skills 
the movement of thought into action and the simultaneous use of both thought and action. Additionally, it is action-based, relying on knowing how, which is procedural knowledge, as well as knowing that, propositional knowledge. Capability is also holistic rather than atomistic. Whilst you might teach pupils to investigate, research, design, plan and make as individual activities, to develop their capability you need to give pupils opportunities to demonstrate that they can bring these together appropriately and purposefully. This requires purposeful planning by you and the whole department. To plan opportunities for pupils to develop their design and technology capability over time. For pupils to develop this level of capability, teaching must allow time and space for pupils to think and do for themselves. Learning activities should promote appropriate levels of autonomy so that pupils learn to feel increasingly confident to take on a task independently from you and a willingness to reflect on or evaluate their work as it develops. Pupils can demonstrate at any stage of their design and technological development evidence of their capability through their ability to use developing knowledge and skills in a creative and purposeful way, take responsibility for the form and direction of their work, make informed judgments, handle uncertainty and modify their work in the light of personal reflection. Now this is a long definition with quite a lot of detail and I want to unpick it in the rest of this podcast. So I want to focus on three points from this quote that actually lead to questions. So the first question is, is your curriculum action-based? Second, is your curriculum atomistic or holistic? And thirdly, does your curriculum give pupils time and space to develop their design and technology capability? So that first question, Gwyneth clearly says that for her, design and technology capability is action-based relying on two forms of knowledge, knowing how and knowing that. Now these are just two ways of thinking about knowledge in design and technology. There are others, but this episode is not the time to go into that. That's for another one, or at least another one. But what I want to unpick here is a little bit about this idea about the knowing that and the knowing how. What I often see my student teachers do is think about theory lessons, which to me speaks very much of the knowing that, this propositional knowledge. And I'm often left wondering, what is this theory in design and technology when action is at the heart of what the subject is about? If pupils have a theory lesson in design and technology, then surely it needs to be attached to developing their design and technology capability. And so I'm left wondering, how is it developing their capability if they're doing a lesson where they're learning knowing that? To me, it often feels like it's floating around. And I sometimes wonder if pupils think, why do I need to know this? How is this helping me in design and technology or in this project that I'm doing? I know that I've taught theory lessons and I've sometimes come away from those theory lessons feeling uncomfortable and wondering, What's all that about? For example, when I returned back into teaching for a short period after working in further education, I had to follow an established scheme of work from a department. 
and found myself teaching a theory lesson about metals, whether they were pure or whether they were alloys, the different types of metals. Now, if I step back and think about the context of that lesson in a design and make activity that it was set, the pupils were going to be given a square piece of mild steel sheet to cut, shape and braise into any form they wished to hold a candle. So they were constrained by the size of the material and the material itself. And there was I teaching a lesson about aluminium, brass, bronze, copper, high carbon steel and so on. And so for me, I was left, well, how and why? Or where is the place of this theory about these metals in the context of this design and make? Do they need to know that? Was it giving them a grounding and a foundation that would help develop their design and technology capability? Now, I probably could have done more with that lesson. I probably could have used the idea and the concepts about properties of those materials and used those examples of metals to exemplify the properties which might have helped the children understand the properties of the mild steel. That is just an example I think of how a theory lesson can become a standalone and doesn't feed into developing the children's design and technology capability. I'm not blaming the scheme of work, it was as much on me. I was an experienced teacher, I could have taken that a different way. But I also think it was a way of me thinking about how the concept of design and technology capability wasn't used to frame the curriculum in DNT at that stage. And so that's why I think when now we're faced with a theory lesson, I think it's good for student teachers and any teachers to ask the question, is this lesson only about teaching the pupils to know something without them necessarily knowing how? And can we actually do that or should we actually do that in an action-based subject like DNT? And if we are having to do a theory lesson, how will that develop their design and technology capability? And I think we need to know that and own that. The second point was about atomization of the DNT curriculum. When we see it as the discrete parts and lose sight of the whole, that's how I'm seeing atomization of the curriculum. Whereas design and technology capability is about the whole. The problem stems, I think, in part from official curriculum documents and exam specifications that present a list of things that pupils should know and be able to do. It's a bullet pointed list. It's difficult sometimes to interpret these into a whole. And what happens is these curriculum documents become a tick list. Have we covered it? Where are we doing it? And we can tick it off. And in many ways, that's very powerful and necessary. But we need to step back, I think, or at least I think it's important to step back and look at the whole aim and purpose of those documents. And at the beginning of those documents, there are aims and purposes given. And they do give a grounding for why pupils are being taught this list of content and processes. Yes, there are individual activities, lessons, units of work and so on that do stand alone. But I do think they need to be seen and understood in the context of the whole. So when faced with a lesson or activity or unit of work, I suggest that we ask the question, how does this part contribute to the development of the pupil's capability? You could ask this question about every part of a unit of work. For example, why are you teaching them how to thread a sewing machine now and in that way? 
why are we teaching them to join the fabric using a running stitch that is 2.5 millimetres in length? And that's often a decision that the teacher makes for the pupils. Maybe we should be asking the questions, do the pupils understand why are they being taught to use running stitch at 2.5 millimetres length with that fabric in this context? But so for me, it's about probing deeper to understand why that lesson, that unit of work is being done in that way at that time and how it contributes to developing deliberately a child's design and technology capability. My third point is about time and space. Capability cannot grow over a short period of time in a single lesson. Yes, you will spot glimmers and suggestions of growth in a lesson, but the curriculum planning must plan time for pupils to learn new things and experience and try out these new processes in design and technology over time. It must give them space to do that and space to think and do it for themselves. And so when designing units of work, we need to think about how pupils are developing their autonomy to increase their confidence in using their developing knowledge and skills in a creative and purposeful way. How they take responsibility for the form and direction of work. Where do we give them space to do that? There is true space to do that. Where do we allow them to make informed judgments? So by teaching them, for example, back in that lesson about the different metals, I wasn't actually giving them a choice about those different metals. So there was no autonomy to make an informed judgment. What I was possibly showing them, that there were all these different metals that had these different properties. And that I'd made the judgment based on lots and lots of constraints. So maybe I need to model how I as a teacher or you as a teacher need to do this is share with them how and why you are making judgments and decisions about what they can and can't do in their lessons. We also need to give them opportunity and space and time to handle uncertainty. And that involves dilemmas, that involves them weighing up pros and cons, making compromises. Where do we give the children opportunity to do that? And then finally, this aspect of design and technology capability around modifying their work in the light of personal reflection. Where do we give them space to do that? Where do we give them conversations that allow them to explore that? And it could be in an instance or it could be over a series of lessons. I recognise that if we are going to give children these true spaces to think and do for themselves, where they have autonomy, there have to be parameters in the design and make activities that we give them. You know, we live in a real world where there are practical purposes of exam deadlines that constrain design and make um, activities or an end of term looming or the availability of materials back to that lesson I was teaching that we could only give them mild steel and so on. But if we step back and plan over developing a child's design and technology capability over five years for example in a secondary school and we think about where and how we do that over the five years where do we give them a design and make activity in the first year of secondary school that gives them autonomy? Where do we allow them to develop that in year eight and build on that into year nine? Where are they learning and using things in year 10 from year seven and year eight and year nine? That is about the knowing that, but is actually also where they have grown in their design and technology capability. If we keep opportunities for design and technology capability only to the final years of secondary school, then they have 
only one chance of it to be right or wrong. When in fact, if we do that in stages over the five years of secondary or over the six or seven years of primary, we are truly developing the design and technology capability. So in terms of thinking about parameters, because I do recognise that when we're planning a curriculum, there are parameters that are externally set. We need to think about how do we share those externally set parameters with the children so that they understand how they are affecting and constraining what they can do in their design and make activity. And then also thinking about what are the different parameters and constraints that design and technology teachers can set, that can they can deliberately set and choose to set, which I think with careful thought can develop the pupil's capability over time. For example, a design and technology make active, design and make activity might constrain the materials available to use or where they work individually as a team, those different things are setting parameters and constraints. Maybe the constraint is about the market or the user of the design. And working these out over a long-term plan of three years or more will help develop a pupil's capability in a deliberate fashion. So I propose that rather than focusing on the four questions in Amanda Spielman's speech, that we should start with a conversation about what our view of design and technology capability is and how we see that manifesting itself in our planning and how we would recognise it in the pupils in our design and technology lessons. I'd be interested to hear your views about design and technology capability, what it is and how it can develop through a design and technology curriculum. You can find me on Twitter at hardy underscore Alison or contact me via my website alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Talking DT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Alison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening. <laughs>